Love going to Israel. We started off uh, staying in uh, Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, right on the northern side of it. Then we got to go to Jerusalem, and we got to stay in Jerusalem. We got to go to Jericho. I was on the Jericho Road, just me and you, Lord. Just, you remember that one? On the Jericho Road. There's room for just two. I'll tell you what, there's about a thousand on some of those roads down there. And then we got to go down to the Sinai Peninsula, and we saw where Moses got the Ten Commandments, where the children of Israel wandered, and that is a desert. It is a desert. And uh, then we got to see the Red Sea, the beautiful Red Sea. I've, I've never seen anything more beautiful water-wise than the Red Sea. It's clear, crystal clear. When old Moses and the children of Israel walked on dry ground going through the Red Sea, God put an aquarium on both sides. They got to see all the fish and everything. It was wonderful. We, we really enjoyed that. And then we got to go to Cairo, Egypt. We saw the pyramids. How many knew that there's 114 pyramids in Egypt? I didn't know that. I, I, I forgot that. I, I'm sure I remember learning that. But we got to see the pyramids and... Uh, it was great. We had a wonderful trip. Thank you all for praying for us. I did not have one instance of motion sickness. Not one time. I praise God for that. I did it all. Did it all. All right, Colossians chapter 1. I don't want to take too much time. We're putting together some pictures. David is helping me. David's getting me a device where I can take my phone and shoot it up on the screens uh, my pictures straight to the screen. So I'm looking forward to that. So uh, he's got something to be in tomorrow. Maybe we'll have that ready if you'd like to see those pictures. I won't bore you with it, but I want to show you just a little bit about what, what we saw. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God and to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which we, uh, ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you. And since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, and ye also learned of Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Colossian church here, the group of Christians that were assembled at Colossae. He's speaking and mentioning their pastor, Epaphras. Papyrus is another way to say that name. And uh, he's a, called a fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ. That's speaking of the pastor. And he gave a report to Paul about uh, how the gospel was working and going there in Colossae. Now, the book of Colossians is one of the four prison epistles that the apostle Paul penned under inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he was in jail, prison in Rome. Uh, the other three being Philippians, Ephesians, and Philemon, the other three. 
So there were four prison epistles that are recorded here. You know, when Paul was imprisoned there, he didn't just sit there and say, oh me, they stopped my ministry. You know, I was preaching to all the world like Billy Graham would do later, and I got sidetracked. These old Romans are stopping me from doing God's will. He did not have that attitude at all. When he was stopped from traveling and preaching, he witnessed in the prisons, and he wrote in the prisons. And probably the most effective part of the apostles' ministry was in the writing of Scripture. Isn't that amazing how if you have the right attitude, God can take you wherever you are, and God can do something with you wherever you are, whatever you're going through. It all matters on how we deal with it, how we either accept it or reject it. So his probably his most effective work was the teaching, the discipleship of, that, that went on from that prison. And we know that he won a lot of people to Jesus while he was in prison, didn't he? We know that. And, and we know also about the apostle that he wanted to go to Rome. And he got a, a, a government-paid trip, didn't he? And they fed him in the whole works while he witnessed, and he won some people of Caesar's household while he was in Rome. So he was quite effective while he was being restrained. You cannot restrain someone if they really want to serve God. So he didn't waste time. He did what he should and what he could. And the grace of God was with him to do that. We all need the grace of God when we're going through trouble, when we're going through uh, uh, things when, uh, that, that we didn't plan for. We need the grace of God to help us. So he not only made the best of it, he flourished in that prison. Now, I think about the woman of Bethany when she made her uh, wash the feet of Jesus. The Bible says she did what she could. I want to challenge all of us, wherever we are, to do what you can. To serve the Lord, to be faithful, and just do what you can. Now, in verse 3, he says, we, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying, all, praying always for you. Now, he's thankful. I think that's very important. He has a good attitude. He has the correct attitude that we need to have. God is good, right? Even when times are bad, God is good. Now, he prays for them. He says, I give thanks for you all. How many of us have never dealt with discouragement? I didn't think I'd get anybody raising. That's why I asked it that way. I didn't want you to raise your hand. Satan sows the seeds of discouragement in the heart of a believer. He will sow the seeds of discouragement wherever he can. They don't grow very good when we have a grateful heart. They don't grow very good when we have a grateful heart. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians, in all things, what? Give thanks. How many things? All things be thankful. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and everything give thanks for this is what? The will of God. What? Even when things are going totally against me, give thanks? That's, that's the will of God. See, God has allowed you to go through that. God has allowed you to be wherever you are. You say, well, my mistakes got me here. But still God allowed it 
And he's got something to learn. He's got something for you to do. And you need to grow in that situation. So Paul is thankful. Now, not only is he just thankful, he's thankful for the church of Colossae. He's thankful for those people. And, and so he is, he is looking outside of himself. I want to challenge you not to be self-centered as a Christian. To look outside yourself. Think about other people. I want to encourage you to be thankful for the people around you that God has put with you. you say, preacher, the people God has put with me is a bunch of losers. Well, look like you deserve that maybe. Try to build that crowd that you're with. Try to encourage that crowd. Your friends, your friends and fellow laborers are vitally important. You know, I come to church on Wednesday night. And, and I appreciate everybody that was here. And uh, Mary, I heard Mary wasn't going to make it. I was so disappointed that Mary... I was so glad to see Mary today. And uh, she is always in church. Amen? Gosh, folks, if you can't do anything else, do that, right? And she does much more than that. But we need to be thankful for one another. God has put these people in our life. And there's, there's a place for you in the church, just like there's a place for Mary sitting right there by the prettiest thing I saw in Israel, right there. Yeah, I, I, I take credit for that text I sent. Uh, now, Paul mentions three things here that we need to mention, that, that we need to talk about and make sure that we understand that these are the, the vital part of the Christian life. Three things he sees in these Colossian Christians that should be seen in each one of us, should be seen in our church, and these are three great Christian virtues that they're there, you got them, they're real. But the first one, he says, he says, uh, since we heard, verse 4, since we heard of your faith, your faith. That's something you have. Now you, you today, you say, preacher, I'm not thinking about my faith today, I'm thinking about the ball game tonight, I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch. I want you to think about the fact that you are a person of faith. That faith was placed in the Lord Jesus Christ when you got saved. You put your faith in Him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says in the book of John, chapter 3.18, He said, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. What happened to the Philippian jailer? What happened to the Philippian jailer when Paul and Silas was in prison and the, and the earthquake came and, and all the bands are loose and they're ready to go and Paul stays there? What happened to the Philippian jailer? He got saved, didn't he? Why did he get saved? It tells us clearly what happened. They told him, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And so our faith began to grow when we got saved. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you need to read sometimes the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You need to study the chapter about faith. And it starts in verse 1. And verse 6 tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. God wants your faith to grow. You need to have a growing faith. I'm not talking about the miraculous in your life. I'm talking about the daily walk of faith. It needs to grow. It needs to grow. So Hebrews 11, verse 6, I challenge you to read that. And God gives us all a measure of faith, and we need to develop it. Now, the two things important to your faith that you have in Jesus Christ, two things important, your relationship to the Bible. 
the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17, tells us that, that the Word of God grows our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, let me tell you, the foundation of growing your faith is you spending time in the Bible, you reading the Bible. You say, I, I don't read very well. You'll learn how to read by reading the Bible. Read the Bible. Study. You don't have to study hard. Just read it and try to get something from God that he has to say to you. Faith comes by hearing, but last part's important. And hearing comes by the Word of God. Here it is. You studied the Word of God. It gives you a foundation. It gives you a base. And then you hear. And you see. And you experience something. Faith comes by hearing. But where does hearing come from? Hearing comes from the Word of God. You need to learn to identify with this book. We're living in a time when Christians are trying to divorce themselves from the Old Testament. Have you been following that? Yeah, that, I, I've been following that. They're trying to divorce themselves from the hard places in the Bible. What's that going to do? It's going to end up with them completely divorcing themselves from the New Testament also. And what they want to hang on to is the resurrection. They want to, that's, what that's what we're going through right now. They believe in the resurrection, but they want to divorce themselves from the Old Testament because there's hard things in the Old Testament. You know, Noah, you know, Jonah, all those things. Jonah, fish, and all. Hey, believe the Bible. Jesus believed the Bible, didn't he? Stay with the Bible. Jesus said, if you believe not Moses and the prophets, neither will you believe me. We can't divorce ourselves from the Bible and maintain a Christian faith. The Christian faith is built on the Word of God. The New Testament is drawn from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was concealed. Now in the New Testament, it is revealed. You can't have a faith without the Bible. You've got to stay with the book. You say, well, how can I get around this and get around that? Well, just admit you're wrong. You know, I want to redefine morality. Don't redefine morality. Just say, I'm a sinner and I'm wrong. That classifies all of us, doesn't it? So, he mentions their faith, and we need to grow our faith, and we can't grow our faith without reading the Word of God, spending time in the Bible. And then, secondly to that, by experiencing it. We have to go through the experiences. We have to grow. As we read the Bible, we relate it, relate it to what's going on in our life. So I want to challenge you to be a witness, to learn to be a teacher, to serve, to give. Those things of the faith that grow the Christian. Get involved. Go in the church. Being faithful to Bible study. All are important. So a question, how's your faith? Is it growing? Now then he talks about the second thing that's a mark of the Christian life. It's the virtue of being saved. Verse 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, you underline the word faith, and of the love which you have for all the saints. I remember years ago, I don't remember the guy's name, but he's a tall guy. We led him to Christ, and he was here about three weeks and moved to California. But he got saved. We led him to Christ here somehow or another in the church. And, and he gave a testimony. He said, you know what I can tell the great difference in my life since before I become a Christian? And 
he said, I didn't see nothing. I didn't hear nothing. I didn't. He said, but I love people now. I love people now. If you don't love people, question your faith. Notice he says, since the day you heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. Hey, we had a great service last night in recovery, didn't we? Amen. We had 20-something. There was at least 20 of us here, and, and I was here. Debbie was sleeping home. That's all she does anymore, sleep, since we got back. I do a lot of it too, but anyway, we had a great service. And somebody might say, well, this was great about it, that was great about it. I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I'll tell you, I look a little different than everybody else at things. You know what I, you know what I notice about it? The love one another. The love that each other had. The concern, the care about one another. That needs to be the mark of our church family. That's what Paul compliments of the Colossians. He's, he talks about their love, the mark of the Christian. Uh, John 13, 35, you may want to shoot that one up, Dave. John 13, 35, the, the birthmark. It's been, this has been called the birthmark of Christianity. He's going to shoot it up on the screen. I think I might have it here in my notes. 13, 34, and 35. You got 35, that'd be fine. And the new commandment Jesus said, I've given to you that you love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. As I have loved you, that you would love one another. And then he says in verse 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples... In, the, your, in your doctrine is absolutely correct. Is that what he said? And that you have all the, 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 the I's dotted and the T's crossed? No. I have noticed throughout Christian history, it's not about your doctrine being correct where God moves. It's in this, in that you have love one for another. If we had to get everybody on the same page doctrinally to have the Spirit of God, he'd never be here. <laughs> because we're all a bunch of people on the wrong page. Amen? Out in left field, patting our glove. But by this shall all men, this is the birthmark of Christianity, in this shall all men know that you're my disciple, in that you love one another. Now this is nature. It is nature to be a person of faith if you're a Christian. It is nature to have love. But you can develop that thing of loving other people. You can stop yourself from being self-concerned, self-occupied, and running over things. and doing. You can stop and show your love for one another. You, we can do that, can't we? So, he, he talks about the mark of being a Christian, love for one another. Now, some of us are easier to love than others, aren't we? Right? It's easier to love some people than it is other people, but we need to love them anyhow. Amen? Now, the Bible talks about in Romans 12, I don't want to go a long time into this, but we're mem many members with different offices. And we all do what? Make up one body, don't we? We make up one body in Christ. And, 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 and so we need to love the people that we don't always see eye, eye, eye to eye with. We need to be challenged to do that. We need to love the people that are 
not like us. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, he says, And for we being many are one bread, one body. We're all partakers of one bread. Hey, we're one. And we don't see eye to eye. We don't all agree, but we're to love one another as one. God put every one of us together for a purpose. And it's to get the gospel to the rest of the world. And we, you know, the body parts, there's the eye, there's the nose, there's the mouth, there's the neck, armpits, feet, and other places that we don't want to get into. Yeah, all a part of the body. You know, there's always somebody that's not happy in a church. And you know what? If you get rid of that person, somebody will take their place. <laughs> it's just a part of it. But we're to love one another. We're to have the love of Christ for one another. Right? Now, let, let's go on to what he, the next thing he says. The, the third thing. He says, verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. The word hope. So we have faith, we have love, and we have hope. That is the marks of being a Christian. Hope. See, the Christian is not just about the world that we're in, but it's about the world in which we're going to, right? We're headed to a better place. Uh, we, uh, we, the hope of the Christian is a, a full assurance. It's not, it's, it, it's not a hope I make it. It's a full assurance hope. It's a patient hope. It's a confident hope. It's an expecting hope that someday we're going to be with the Lord. Over in Romans 8, 24, it says this, For we are saved by hope. We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he hope for it? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Do we know, have we ever seen heaven? No, we haven't seen, but we have a hope that's a sure found hope that it's there and we're going to be a part of it someday because Jesus is our Savior. Now this is, this is what he, he was thanking God for these three things. This hope is the power to endure things. Faith, love, hope. Now, Paul goes on to say that he's thankful, verse 5, for the truth of the gospel. He says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherefore ye heard before in the word of truth the gospel. See, here's how you got your faith and your love and your hope. You heard the gospel and you believed. You, you may have heard it when you was a little bitty person, a little bitty kid. And you heard it and you believed and you got saved. It's all because of the gospel. What's it about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus dying on that cross. I've been there this week. It's about Jesus dying on that cross. He died for our sins. We owe him a great debt because he died for our sins. The truth of the gospel is that he was died, he was buried, and he arose again. Hey, I saw where he laid. He's not there anymore. <laughs> He's seated in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ, his death, 
His blood that was shed. He, hey, the blood of Christ covers our sin. Uh, it covers and cleanses our sin, continually cleanses our sin. He is a resurrected Lord. He's seated in the heavenly places beside the Father, making intercession for us. One of these days, He got up once before. He started to come once before, but He sat back down. He's going to get up again. He's going to come. He's going to come here. And so, what is the ministry of the church? Verse 6, which is coming to you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth. It's, what's that has come? The gospel. The gospel came here. The gospel came to you. The gospel came to you. I don't know where you got saved at, but the gospel came to you and it came for you. And so, what are we to do? The ministry of us, the ministry of those of us who are saved, the ministry of the church family, the church body, is to take this gospel that we've heard and share it with other people, and then they get faith, they get love, they get hope, and it changes the world. The gospel that was preached around the world, he said. You know, I got to be this week where it started. It's going around the world. There are people getting saved today. You say, preacher, we had not seen anything happen in Missouri in a long time. But God is saving people around the world. I want to see him save people right here in Marble Hill. How about you? We, well, how do you do that? Well, the preacher gets up and he preaches the gospel. Is that how? No, that's not how it works. We've got to take the gospel to where they are. The Bible teaches us that we're going out in the highways and the hedges and we're to compel them to come in. The gospel. We're not supposed to sit on the side of the road and let people die and go to hell without a chance. We're to knock on their doors. We're to get involved in their lives. We're to share Jesus with them. We're to give them the gospel that God loved them, that Christ died for them, and Jesus will save them if they'll call upon him. He'll change their life. He'll take care of your problems. He'll handle the issues that you might have. Jesus paid a tremendous price for the world, folks. He gave his life on that cross. Not just for you and me, but for others. You and I need to be spreading that gospel. Giving people the opportunity to, to know Jesus. And to know the forgiveness. Notice we have, it says, there's the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. There's a hope in your heart that people need in their heart. The hope of heaven. Now, their pastor, in verse 7, he taught them that. He taught them to take the gospel. I'm going to teach you, let's take the gospel. Let's take the gospel to our community, to our friends and our enemies, to our families. That's our our job. That's the beginning of this book, and that's the emphasis of the book. Paul's sitting in prison, and he's saying, Church, You've got the faith. You've got the love. You've got the hope. Now take it to the people. That's what it's all about. I want to challenge you today that you would take serious this important call in your life to take Jesus to our community. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Quietly stand to our feet. I'm going to have a prayer while our musicians come. And I want to give an invitation for those that have not been sharing the good news of Christ to to the community.
I want to give an invitation for you to come and join us in reaching other people. For you to get involved in reaching out to your friends and bringing them to church, to, to Bible study, to preaching so that they can be saved. Lord, I come before you. I thank you, Lord, that you died on that cross for our sins. I thank you, Lord, that you put in our heart faith and love and hope. Lord, lay it on our hearts to share this gospel that others might be saved. We ask your blessing on this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing that out. Won't you come if you would? If you're not a Christian, we invite you to come. bow our heads and let the pianos continue do you need to make any decision for Christ today you got anything you need to pray about at the altar to be home. I hope you're glad I'm home. <laughs> it's good to see each of you. We got some uh, young people here.